This week, we take a look at the mildly successful commentary film Elysium. And along the way, we ask, why does shaving your head and adding tattoos make you an action hero? Why is Jodie Foster the villain? And just how opulent is Elysium? We'll find out on Force-Fed Sci-Fi. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another thrilling, space-traveling, orbiting Earth edition of the Force-Fed Sci-Fi Podcast. I am one half of your host, Chris Rupp, and I am joined by my co-host, the non-radiation man, Sean Michael Culp. Which is appropriate for today's episode as we're discussing (laughs) Elysium. Yes. Good God, I'm not dying of radiation just yet. Oh, poor Matt Damon. Matt Damon. Damon. We might be doing that a lot in this episode, just a heads up. <laughs> Probably. You know, you'd think that by the time like 2019's around, he would have escaped that. But no, I guess we're still going to. He's never going to get it. rid of that. No, he probably never will. That's a pretty good film, though. Yeah. <laughs> if you like uh, Team, what is it? Team America, team America. World Police. <laughs> I, whenever I want to chuckle, I watch that uh, song on YouTube. Full of uh, puppet on puppet violence. <laughs> Which is the best kind of violence. Amen to that. So let's get into this sci-fi excitement. Yes. Here's a quick breakdown of the plot of Elysium. So in the year 2154, Earth has been ravaged by war, disease, and famine. So pretty much all like the four horsemen just come and visit Earth. What? The four horsemen? The four I've horsemen never of, heard this analogy. The four horsemen of the apocalypse? Explain this. It's pestilence, death, um... War and famine. Ah, that's exciting. So are these people just like riding in on horses and they, they carry these things and like crates? Well, that's like like the biblical uh, depiction of them. But you, ah. you seriously never heard of the four no, horsemen I've of the apocalypse? Never heard that. I was like, is he going with the Lord of the Rings type reference or what? Sean, read, I won't even say just read a book generic. I'll just say read the Bible. There we go. <laughs> read the Bible. Yeah, maybe. Maybe I should. So after Earth has been (laughs) visited by the four horsemen, not literally, of course, the wealthy have retreated to a floating habitat above Earth named Elysium. While a factory worker on Earth named Max suffers a fatal accident, he makes a bargain with a nefarious gangster that will bring him to the only place that can save him, and he finds himself embroiled in a conspiracy that will threaten all of humanity. Oh, on paper, that sounds lovely. Sounds intense. It Very does. simplistic. Right? Just like what we like. Super simple, easy plots. Yeah, it's the plot is A to B. Like we we see man, mm-hmm. man gets sick, man has to get himself fixed. Yeah. And man fights people other people is how it goes. Yeah, it's like the generic plot that's utilized in a lot of action films. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> but unfortunately it did not go so well with this. Yeah, so who who is the guy behind it all? Yeah, who is the man? It is Neil Blomkamp. Yeah. You may remember him from uh, District 9. That's how he got his claim to fame. Yeah. And uh, this is, I guess, what we, you can't say it's like his second, I guess it's his second go I think at it's, worldwide he, film. Yeah, I think it's his second mainstream studio film. Mm-hmm. Because he's done District 9, this, and then Chappie. Yes. And then after that. Nothing else since. No mas. For now. Yeah, for now. But it's him, so he's the director of this. He's produced by Bill Block. He produced it himself. And then Simon Kinberg. Mm-hmm. And Simon Kinberg's pretty popular. He's pretty 
well known around I know at least like uh, Marvel for like the X-Men franchise he produced like the Mr. and Miss Smiths he directed Dark Phoenix mm. yeah I feel like that's a guy that most people are like oh that rings a bell <laughs> and then uh, I guess I, I was doing some research Bill Block the producer he's like the CEO of Miramax really so he got his claim to fame in the 80s as an agent and I guess he was the agent literary agent of like Samuel Jackson John Travolta who else was that man? Oh my God, Simon, I want to write a book. That Charlie Sheen, and then the, uh, you know, our favorite Steven Seagal. <laughs> that man got out of no. Hollywood just as fast as he got in. Good God, that man. Or I guess as fat as he got. Did you ever watch any Steven Seagal's films? No. No, you didn't even see, um, none, no, I, none of the popular, come on. I prefer Jean-Claude Van Damme. Really? You've never even said, well, that's fair. See? At least, I mean, he, at least he's improved as an actor. But like you've never seen Steven Seagal run? No. Oh, come on. You got to go on YouTube and watch it. I don't it's want like, to. No, you have to. Because I know how fat he is. I Dude, feel... No, no, no. This is young Steven Seagal. So this was when he was the man. Why are you like... saying it Seagal? It's Seagal. All right, well, Seagal. <laughs> that's how I call him, Seagal. Because I'm not going to say his name how he should, but- you have to watch him running. Like his arms are, it's like the most flamboyant style of running I've ever seen in an action film. Are we talking like Tom Cruise running or no, Will no, no, Smith running? No, 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 because those guys run like they run. But Steven Seagal, like his arms are like flapping around like the incredible waving arm inflatable man. Like it's <laughs> it's hilarious, bro. But anyways, back to Bill Block. So he, I guess, was the agent for those guys. Boom, boom. He started a bunch of different companies like uh, Artisan Entertainment, the KED International, which is where he met Neil. And then together they did uh, District 9. Uh, he's produced Fury and then with Oliver Stone, W. I don't know if you ever saw W. I did. I did see that recently. I rather enjoyed it. Eh, not too bad with the, uh, I guess people say Oliver Stone is like a mule. Like he's not fun to work for. <laughs> I, I will believe that. But who else is in this? Neil wrote it, so it's one of those direct, produce, and write. And who's in this puppy? So we've got Matt Damon yeah. in the title role. Uh, not the title role. He's uh, starring as Max. Yes. Our uh, our hero of the movie. Bald-headed man. <laughs> we also have uh, Jodie Foster, who plays uh, Secretary mm -hmm. Delacorte. Yeah. One of her random sightings recently. Yeah. Alice uh, Braga, who plays Frey, Frey the nurse, mm -hmm. uh, but prior to this film was uh, in I Am Legend, and she was also uh, in Predators. Okay, so that's where she's from. Mm -hmm. She looked kind of familiar. Then we have frequent uh, Blomkamp collaborator of uh, Charlton Copley as Kruger. Oh, yes. They are besties. <laughs> And we have uh, Diego Luna as Jose. Mm -hmm. um, Wagner Mora, who uh, recently is well, more well-known for playing Pablo Escobar on the Netflix show Narcos. Okay. Never seen it. We have William Fickner as a- Legendary man. Um, I like him. I think he's like- He's a good actor. I, solid, I don't, I would, supporting. I wouldn't call him legendary just yet. Just yet. But he's one of those guys where if you cat, he just appears in random films- and he always just crushes it, no matter how small. Yeah, and then he gets shot in the leg in The Dark Knight. Yeah, exactly. Smoke grenade he left always... in his mouth. Dude, he's like a Sean Bean. It's just like that's what his career is turning to. The main role was originally offered to a South African rapper by the name of Watkin Tudor Jones. Yes. He's also known as Ninja. Yeah. Um, he declined to star in the movie. Yeah, for some reason he didn't want this. Oh, that, I read it. He didn't want his first film to have an American accent. 
Yeah. But then the main role was offered to Eminem, yeah. the rapper Eminem. So he went like rapper, rapper before going to an actual A-lister. And I actually, this is when I started actually following this film because I watched 8 Mile and I was really, I enjoy Eminem's music. So I was like, oh, he's doing a sci-fi film. I love sci-fi. But it never uh, came to fruition. Fruition. There we go. Yeah, but he wanted the movie to be filmed in Detroit. That's the only way yep. he would sign on to it. And the studios were... That was they gave him a hard no on that. Yeah, they're like, we already have paid for the location. I'm sorry. So then we got to we get to Elysium and Matt Damon as the starring man. Yes, I guess he said he signed on because when he met with him, the storybook that he made it was like a little book uh, that Bloom Camp made for him was just so intensely detailed. Like he had everything written down for the size, the weight of like the guns, the spaceships. And Matt Damon was just so blown away by it. He's like, I have to sign on to this, which is kind of cool. It is. I mean, Blomkamp does pay pretty close attention to details like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, and it helps that he uses a lot of the same collaborators from his previous films. Like a lot of people that I saw that worked on District 9 returned to mm -hmm. help him out on this one. Um, also made on the budget of $115 million. So pretty big budget upgrade compared yeah. to District 9. Because I think District 9 was made on something like $9 million. It's just nuts. Yeah. They just gave them that. I mean, they must have had huge So they had a lot guy. to work yeah. with. Oh, yeah. And initially, I think he wanted this to be like a low-budget film. Not like 9, but I think it was he was saying like more $40 million, $50 million. But I guess the studios were like, oh, no, you're going all the way, big guy. Yeah. Well, how about we start breaking it down? Let's, uh, let's get into the meat and potatoes that is Elysium, mm -hmm. shall we? I'm down. So you brought up an interesting point that I think we should discuss about. Do you think that this is a dystopian film or is it more of a speculative film? Are we heading down this path? I think, it, to me, I took it as speculative. And I still believe that. I saw it in 2013 and then six years later. And I think, at least in my perspective, what he, Bloom Camp was going for was to show like this is what could happen over the course of like 150 years if we don't change something. Because the three films he's done, they're always social commentaries, and he embeds it in realism. And when I watched it, I took some stuff away where I was like, oh, we need to like care about these different issues. And I really, I loved it. Uh, like the take on realism and the predictions for the tech, the healthcare, all of that, the population, all the concepts socially that he covered. So yes, I think it was definitely a depiction of the future. I think it was, I was a tad disappointed with how the future tech was shown yeah. in in this movie. Okay. Why is that? Well, it takes place, if we're discussing now, it takes place, what, about 136 years into the future? Yeah. Um, and there, it didn't seem like there was a great leap forward in mm -mm. the technology. Outside of, like, med bays, exoskeletons, and, I guess, ships that can just fly up out and out of space willy-nilly. Yeah, which, to me, I mean... Just looking at it from the outside, it didn't seem like that those ships were explicitly designed to fly in Earth's atmosphere yeah. and in low Earth orbit. Yes. I saw, well, I like put question marks around Kruger's ship. I'm like, wait, you could just fly. A yeah. And didn't Jodie Foster make a statement? Oh, we'll see you in 10 minutes. And I'm like, you can fly to Elysium in 10 minutes from freaking Los Angeles? It's like, man, it took what? Apollo 11 like 20 minutes to get out to that point. <laughs> I know. And that was with the biggest rocket anybody ever built. Right? You just, we're here. 
the depiction I don't know. I was like, well, if you if we make it this far, that'd be nuts. But I do think sometimes with the future, we tend to think that it's going to be like Star Trek. And we've seen films from like the 50s where they predicted the future, like now, our time, like even Back to the Future 2, they thought flying cars was going to be a thing. So I don't know. This film, I enjoyed the elements, the social predictions, but the tech, like the suits and the robots and stuff was cool, but the ships kind of threw me sideways. I did think the security droids were pretty cool looking. Yeah. But then Blomkamp turned that aspect of a film into its whole other film with Chappie. Yeah. He lit- Yeah, it's like he springboarded this to Chappie. Do you think it's a prequel? No. He just took elements that he liked? Well, it's it's weird because Chappie is easily the the worst of Blomkamp's films. Okay. Um and then this one was Elysium wasn't a total letdown. But we'll discuss that. We'll get to that, though. Yeah, it was mixed. But yeah, you. So you don't believe that it was a nice, like the depiction of. The no, reality. I think I think Blomkamp was going for the hard dystopian mm-hmm. feel to this. Okay. I mean, it, there's there's the definite disparity that there's of the people of Earth and the citizens of Elysium. So it's almost like they're looking down on Earth, like literally and figuratively. Yeah, like a god complex. Almost. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of nuts. The 1% controls the 99. It's like he took the social concepts that we talk about in modern day society and literally applied it to a sci-fi film. This could happen. Yeah, but then even the the, the suit for the future tech was, mm-hmm. it seemed like Matt Damon got the, the rundown version. Yeah. And then Kruger got the nice fancy polished version at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. For their square off. I actually do want to talk about that suit a little sure. bit because I actually I found an interesting article on how stuff works about how will these powered exosuits will work. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, really. I mean, it's it's really it's just wearable machinery or technology. It's designed to aid the wearer. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, the concept goes back as far as uh, 1868. Really? Yeah, there was a writer by the name of Edward Sylvester Ellis who published a novel called The Steam Man of the Prairies which depicted a humanoid-shaped steam engine that towed its inventor in a cart running at about 60 miles per hour. Wow. Mm-hmm. Just think of that, dude. He was ahead of his time. Yeah. 1800s? Mm-hmm. That's dope. And then by 1961, the Pentagon invited proposals for real-life wearable robots a la Iron Man. A la Iron Man. <laughs> and we have exoskeletons kind of now. Kind of. I mean... The army was actually developing these suits well into the 90s, but Mm -hmm. the concepts just never took off or- Super expensive. Super expensive. And then in 2000s, DARPA, which is the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, Mm -hmm. uh, which is why we're glad for the acronym, got involved with a $75 million program to develop a powered armored suit. So now they're contracting out a bunch of work to like make the machinery go and how the technology would work. I really hope they come out in the next 20 years while I'm still in. Because I would love to wear an exosuit, man. That would be dope as heck. Well, early... Think of that. Would you wear an exosuit? Like, how crazy would that be, I man? feel like I would abuse that power. Well, Probably. Er- <laughs> early too. thoughts of what the exosuits could look like. is, is They're initially thought that they could lift up to two or three times the weight of a human. So maybe four to 600 pounds that they could lift up yeah. or it's pretty good designed to carry more equipment. So how, 
how are they going to be used to augment one soldier? Mm -hmm. Like, are they able to carry the gear of two soldiers? Or are they able to, you know, mount a weapon on one soldier that would normally require two to operate? So I think that's what we're going to be heading with exosuits. I think it's going to be a while before we see any, like, civilian applications for it. Yeah. Well, because right now I've seen, like, videos from japan like people trying to use exoskeletons for like uh for people with paralysis that their legs you know or quadriplegics but it's still in development like it's that's far off oh one of my favorite scenes from iron man 2 is when tony is in the congressional hearing with um with justin hammer Uh and he hacks the screens to show Congress, hey, look, the other nations are, hey, look, other nations are building these. We should be afraid of them. And Tony hacks them by saying like, oh, look, no, they're screwing this up with all the hilarious videos. And hey, look, there's Justin Hammer breaking the back of one of his test pilots with one of these things. (laughs) Oh my gosh, yes. So it's going to be a long time before we get to any Mm -hmm. practical use of powered exosuits. Yes, but it is a nice pipe dream. Oh yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And then that, that space station too, Elysium. Yeah. That was that was pretty good looking. That was beautiful. Would you want to live on Elysium, if you know, if you weren't part of the one percent controlling the rest? Of, if like that was, you know what? I would have to say no. No. No, I wouldn't want to live on Elysium, even if I had all that money. Yeah. With well, all your needs met and everything. Well, it's just your you are physically distance distancing yourself from your home. Yeah. The rest of the world. I mean, we are human beings. We are earthbound. Okay. Exploring space is one thing, but to just say, I'm going to go live there because I can, and I don't want to live on Earth. It's almost like you're subverting humanity in a way. Like, almost like saying that you're better than humanity. Like, you've earned your place to not live on Earth anymore. Okay. That's fair. So, for me, it's more of a philosophical choice to not live on Elysium if I had the choice. Chris Rupp, everyone. A man of virtue. But what if, like, Elysium was utilized, you know, kind of an interstellar, a spaceship that would take people away from, like, Earth if it was decaying? Like, let's say global warming was huge and wiped out the planet. Would you then live on the spaceship? So would it be like a lottery system where people are selected to live on the spaceship? And your number was picked, Chris. Would you go? If it was a fair and equitable system, yeah, I would say I would I wouldn't pass that up then. If if Earth was for sure yeah. dying and this was the one for sure way to save the planet, yeah, and my name number was picked or whatever, then you would take it. Yeah, yeah, that I would too. Because I would just be marvel like curious about what tech they have on there and all that. Even like a little indie film of like a kid being born on Elysium and not knowing like what real Earth is, how their immune system would potentially be compromised visiting said home we can't take you back to the neighborhood charlie you might die <laughs> well i i wanted to ask this too and i thought about this as was i was watching the movie how are the governments of the world just okay with yeah the richest one percent just up and leaving the earth to go to space and start their own space colony i know it's like all the government like the united nations and all of them just went up there and started controlling the 99% from above. It, it, it was weird. Well, it was How essentially- get to that? It was essentially a sovereign nation, what they created mm-hmm. up there. They, they circumvented the governments of the world and just said, screw you guys, we're going to do our own thing. Yeah. And the film- like, You can't do that. No, <laughs> that's not fair. Like, what, what type of manipulation did it take to make people buy into that? Because the film, 
you know, it said in the 21st century at the beginning, it was kind of like before Matt Damon became an adult. Elysium was still up there when he was a kiddo. So it was, it's been around in the film for a while. We never get to see how it went up there. I don't think anyone in the film mentioned it. No. So they didn't really do a good job in describing that. I got the impression that Elysium had been up there maybe like 75 years yeah. prior to the start of the movie. Same. But that takes a ton of equipment. I actually looked yeah. up that the the design of Elysium was based off of a NASA concept design from the 70s called the Stanford Taurus. Oh, that's cool. The Stanford Taurus because it was designed by a group of students at Stanford University. So it was that same like donut-shaped ring about two kilometers in diameter. It could support up to 10,000 people, rotate once per minute to provide gravity, mm -hmm. and the sunlight would be provided by a system of mirrors. Oh, how fascinating. Yeah, but huh. the construction would require about 10 million tons of material. They laid out this whole concept. So they, crazy. Like, they went in on it. The, it the That's nuts. Building the Taurus involved actually putting a construction base on the moon to mine the moon and asteroids to acquire the materials needed to build the Taurus. That's nuts. Every time you say to build the Taurus, I think of my old car. <laughs> I drove a Ford Taurus. Maybe, this, maybe it's all sponsored by Ford. <laughs> oh, my God. Corporate sponsorships of NASA. Well, it's possible. I mean, with the privatization of space. Yeah. I well, mean, this could be something we see in the future with space travel and everything. I mean, we'll see. I, I want to remain optimistic about the future yeah. of space exploration, though. Well, that's good. That, keeping a positive mindset about it. Good, Chris. Good, good. Well, obviously, I mean, this wasn't built because it would have been too expensive. Mm -hmm. I mean, they scrapped the Apollo program because... Nobody cared about going to the moon anymore, and it was too much money to just launch a craft into space. Fair. I think that this was more like of an international collaborative effort, mm -hmm. not as a, a pet project for the wealthy to escape Earth. I think then it, something like this may get off the ground, so to speak. Okay. But for one nation to undertake this is just so much so money. Much resources. So much resources and money and time. Well, and just like the cloud of being like, we built this, so then we deserve a say, and it just, I could see it going horrible. Because while you are optimistic, I'm very cynical. So I see it going only one way. So Chris Rupp is a man of virtue and optimism, folks. <laughs> he is the perfect man. I have my moments. <laughs> Whereas I am the Debbie Downer. Uh, what else? I do want to talk about those med bays too, and you mentioned yes. those earlier. So the med bays was my big like crux. How do those things work? No idea. He didn't explain it. So folks, if you haven't seen it, basically you lay in this bay, this uh like a bed. It's like a white bed, and then this glass like um comes over you. It scans your body. It finds what's wrong, whether it's a broken arm, punctured lung, whatever, and then it fixes you. And you're healthy, like you're fine. All it did was atomize. All it That's said it. was atomizing, atomize. and it it just presto fixo That's your body. It. And like Kruger's face gets blown off, but his brain is still intact, so they can recreate his face. I mean, it was very. Uh, we couldn't really figure out like how what what is the limitations? At what point does the not work anymore? Do you stay alive forever? I mean. You know, I would think that the med bays can help with de-aging. Okay. Like help you. I thought so too. Like help you recover from organ failure. But yes. like you mentioned, I think it depends on 
like what how much brain activity you have because if you have sure. a dead brain they can't fix that no because they made that very clear with kruger oh his brain it's still functional you know it's still there so i guess so you have to have a brain that's still there and you have to have that that horrible burn stamp yes. on your wrist or forearm yes because these guys had to have the tramp stamp or the stamp on their wrist to get it wrong because, place for a tramp stamp <laughs> because that that was like the big thing when the the mom and her daughter with leukemia comes up and matt damon's like it's not gonna work unless you have the stamp because you know they're like help us help us and that security guard just like no you're going back why are those bezo only on elysium though yeah i felt like it was just the control of wealth control of everything the one percent you know. That's just so unfair. You have these machines yeah, that can literally is. change the world and people's lives, and you're keeping them all to yourself because you don't want skin cancer. Well, they're hanging out in the harsh space sun for two and a half minutes. Well, it's Bloomcam, man. He's all about you know social criticism and social justice and issues. So he's just saying, boom. He's just hammering it down your face. My theory is that the Elysian citizens hold the patents to those med bays. Okay, and. They're only made and distributed there on Elysium, not anywhere else on Earth. Okay. Because they have enough. Yeah. That would it make seems sense. like every house had a med bay. Yeah. Every and like at the end when the ships come down and there's all the med bays on like for everyone, it's like, okay, you have these. Why weren't you utilizing them prior? And my problem was at the beginning when they shoot down, you know, the three ships are coming to land. And then one makes it, but then the other two get blown apart. And the leader of the Elysium yells at Jodie Foster for shooting him down, right? He's like, we're not allowed to shoot down people, non-Elysium people. I said, okay, well, you have this virtue and morals too. Then why can't you share the med base with people? Like, I don't understand. What is stopping you, Mr. Virtuous Man? Well, I think that's a lot of the, the commentary that Neil Blomkamp put into the movie. Yeah. You know, he has, I, I did feel like his themes and social commentary was a bit heavy handed. Yes. As opposed to <laughs> District 9. Yeah. I mean, there's themes of immigration, overpopulation, transhumanism, healthcare, worker exploitation, the justice system, and social class issues. My God, this it's is a, so much. This is a dense movie and it barely talks about a, a lot of those issues. Yeah. Or they're mentioned in passing and mm -hmm. they're never brought up again at any point. Yes. The story is Matt Damon who gets radiation from being locked in. No, no, no. We're saying Matt Damon. Matt Damon, the ex con factory worker who has the worst boss in the world, makes him go into the radiation tube. <laughs> cylinder where they make the robots and he gets like a crate blocks the door unjams it but then gets a full blast so his whole thing is he has to get to elysium to survive because he's super selfish and he wants to live obviously like any person but that's the whole story he just gets his homies and they go up to the ship but it's like dressed in all these social issues so it's like scene after scene you see different disparities but the whole point he's still selfish but he does have an arc at the end yeah, which and, is kind of cool. And this is also a uh I, I don't want to say a trope, but it's a running theme with Neil Blomkamp's movies where the main character dies or is changed in this mm -hmm. in this exponential way. Like um Wickes in District 9 became um became the alien. Mm -hmm. Max in this movie dies in the very uh 
Christ-like symbolism there. Yes, because the virus they put in his head, because they have to steal it from the CEO, mm-hmm. and the virus is a terminate. So if they want to take it out of his head, he's going to die regardless. But but it's like, what what, what else was going to happen? But by you think doing... he's going to go all the way up there for... But by doing so, he changes the status of all the people on Earth, so now they're Elysian citizens. Yes. I wonder what fallout that would have. <laughs> like, if the Earth is super overpopulated and all the food problems, like, being able to survive with the bed Well, pigs. yeah, you, you're able to fix people, but you're not able to fix the problems problem. people have. They're still the same problems. Like there's, they just you have med base. You still have income disparity. You still <laughs> have starvation. You still have poverty. Like, what are the med pay? What are the med bays going to do to just fix that? <laughs> well, they're si- they're all citizens of Elysium, so maybe they have like a Sunday buffet. So all the people they just ferry people. Maybe up. they have access to like the Elysian Credit Union or something. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Okay, Monday we're taking these people. Tuesday, all right, G through Z, get in line. Oh, man, I the don't know. The planners of Elysium are just like, oh, God, we got to build more of these yeah. things now. <laughs> now we need two donuts. <laughs> the first one took 40 years to make. <laughs> well, thank God they have all these people now that are citizens that can help build. <laughs> right? Jeez, the fallout. I can see why this film was divisive between people. Well, what wasn't divisive, though, were the visual effects. Yes, he executed efficiently on these visual effects and i didn't get the sense that there were a ton of overt shots in it no so blomkamp is firmly firmly in the camp of they're not used to make a movie they're used to enhance the movie which i know personally i appreciate and you do too yeah because too much of visual effects it just bogs it down and he used a bit of practical effects yeah it was nice what was your if you had to pick one favorite what was your favorite visual effect shot in the film oh by far the chem weapon yes i <laughs> i wholeheartedly so dope, agree dude. he just pulls the trigger just vaporizes everyone why nuts. would you save the the coolest most for powerful less. gun for the end i know because the whole film you just wish that he had it on earth but it was the build-up it was just so cool i mean it vaporized the hallway it Literally obliterated that that mercenary who oh was trying to God. shoot him. You it was gotta so go. Cool. Why is it that whenever a mercenary or a henchman says you gotta go through me, that's exactly what the hero of the movie does, <laughs> either by using an overpowered weapon or just like punching a hole through them or something. Right. If it's Dwayne Johnson, he's just like ripping their head off or something. Or Harrison Ford, he'll shoot him in the head. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, I just that that weapon was so dope. It was better than the, for me, the X suit square off between uh, Max and Kruger. Though I did Which appreciate. Which uh, Oh, there yeah, were two. Well, that's true. <laughs> the, the final climactic one. That was, that was better than the first square off. You know, that bothered me. Like those, those camera movements that looked like it was from a third person yes. shooter video, video game. Yes. That's, it made me wonder if this film initially was going to be more designed like that. You know, I had that thought, too, because... It's just that one scene in the film. It's like that end battle where he does those movements. The movie's plot unfolds very much like a video game Yes, would. yes, exactly. And that's when I thought when I first was hearing about this film, ooh, this would be a great video game. Yeah, you make a solid, you know, eight or nine hour single player story about... Mm-hmm this factory worker who's dying and he has to get himself healed like it lends yeah. its, the concept itself lends it very much to a video game absolutely the and the the chem weapon itself 
is something out of a video game when he shoots it. it there's nothing that we've really ever seen in film. Otherwise, I've never seen anything like that. There probably have been examples. I just can't yeah. think of one at the moment. Sure. <laughs> but visual effects were an A+. Plus. They were Definitely. an A+. Plus. The action scene, if you guys uh, listen and enjoy good action, uh, this film's great at action. Well, good we'll save that for the rating. Yes. Well, speaking of things that may not have been so A+, plus, <laughs> what was your lens flare of the film, Sean? My lens flare was the Ex Machina, the endless shield that Kruger utilized. That bothered me because I feel like Boom Camp rode himself into the hole, plot hole, and he's like, how do I get him out of this? Oh, I just have a shield. You know, I almost picked that, but I had a feeling you were going to. And my thing about the shield when Max is using the chem gun on him, why doesn't that gun just rip apart that shield? Because he has an upgraded exosuit, Chris. That just seems so stupid. Max has the powerful gun like that's ever been built. Yes. And Kruger's itty-bitty electric shield is just able to stand up to that. I don't get it. I know. It very much infuriated me, too. I think I threw a can on the ground. Uh, I was so mad. But probably. But what was yours? I think it was just the overacting yes. in this movie. There was so much yelling, so much exaggeration to this. I mean, <laughs> Kruger definitely hams up his craziness. Snut, dude. He's, that a, dude he's is insane. Nuts the whole freaking game. It's crazy. He like from the accent he says, it's just nuts. And Delacour is just she's just playing up how despicable she is, but <laughs> I think she could have used more development mm -hmm. as a character because she, she and Kruger are not at all sympathetic in this movie. Oh, no. and Kruger's not meant to be. But when she dies, the end of the film, we don't feel anything for her because we don't like her no. at all. Full stop. It it means absolutely nothing to me when Jodie Foster dies. So, oh, okay. For some reason, I thought she died a different way, but she just bleeds out from it's, Kruger. Spider just yells all the time. Yes, the whole time. When I first saw this in theaters, I told, because uh, I saw it with my, me mommy, and I said I didn't like Spider because he was just overacting. And when I saw it this time, the second time, he was still overacting. I don't know. I guess it, you get used to it. For me, it, it didn't bother me too much, but the first half. Well, really, it was... Um... Alice Braga, who who gave us really the only nuanced performance of the film as Frey. I mean, she doesn't overdo it. It doesn't feel, yeah, you know, bombastic or anything. She's just a mom who's trying to help her daughter. Yes, her daughter that randomly tells hippopotamus stories at the absolute <laughs> worst time. I know that was producer Jeremy's lens yes, flare. That was Jeremy. Why? This is horrible. It still doesn't make sense. Well, her daughter makes me feel awkward. Well, Matilda has leukemia, so we're already sympathetic yeah. to her, and we care about her as an audience. So it's like, oh, now I have to listen to you tell me a story. And even Max I is just like, bad. I don't want to hear this. Yeah, he's absolutely selfish. This whole film, because I guess him and Frey had a relationship in the past. Yeah, they tried with that. And it just didn't land for me. There was like nothing and more nothing. I didn't really feel much. I felt more for Kruger being creepy. Frey and Max's relationship was as dead as the red shirts we're going to discuss. Yes. Oh, there was there was a lot of red shirts. In this yeah. Film. People just got murked left and right in this movie. From the opening scene. Yeah. When the ships come up and they just blast Those were my sky. red shirts with those poor people on those two shuttles who got blasted yes. out of the sky. Same. I Did you like, though, ha, uh, at the end, how when Matt Damon crash lands on, and then the other two ships follow and land on Elysium and it's, oh, nothing. 
we're not going to care about the security anymore. I yeah, guess. it's just like, oh, we're all busy, so <laughs> yeah, let's just ignore yeah, the yeah. other ship that's <laughs> that's coming in. <laughs> it's like, what? 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 Why? How is nobody in no. the control room going like, hey, secretary, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> something's happening. I know you're busy, but isn't there a second in command? Come on. Is she the only one? And doesn't she have a headset that she could just say, neutralize them? Lack of organizational oversight. Yeah. The secretary <laughs> Delacorn is our... New entry in people not doing their job. Not at all. She does her job horribly. Come on. And that was her That was her whole character, too. She just loved killing people that weren't from Elysium. But, you know, this movie wasn't without its uh, pedants. Are you ready for this week <laughs> in toxic fandom? I'm ready. Okay. So... <laughs> During that uh, that first like uh, uh, fight when they're taking down the CEO of Armadine at the end when Kruger swoops in, so when Max and Julio's car is attacked by the delayed detonation RPG that's launched from Kruger's ship, the attack angle and detonation are contradictory to the laws of physics. Since Max and Julio were traveling backwards, the explosive force of the two devices would have lifted the car from the front end backwards and not the rear end forwards as shown in the film. So we have physics geeks that just hate this movie. This is almost as bad as those is from that website with like the the people that look at the stars. Remember? Oh like yeah. A couple of films ago. What? 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 Did you watch this? Did they watch this and just get triggered? I spent my whole career studying physics. That's how people react, though. I did find one about the floating cups, though, the beer bottles. What'd you find? It was basically, so when they fly out of orbit, there was floating beer bottles, right, when they're flying to Elysium. But apparently, when you're flying in space, the trajectory with the acceleration, those bottles wouldn't have just been floating. They would have followed the momentum of the ship. So they would have been in the back of the ship, not just randomly floating. And also, no one's hair, nothing was floating. It was just the cans. So I guess... Well, how are people going to know if they're in space? G-Force only works for beer, man. How are people going to know they're in space if nothing is floating in the ship? <laughs> it's a sci-fi space movie trope. Whenever we're in space, we always have to have things floating. Just do the hair. Always have to have things floating. Oh, yeah. So they have ships that can get to Elysium in 10 minutes, but they still have the floating? Come on. <laughs> come on. You're just picking and choosing, man. Oh, come on, Bloom Comp. Yeah. No better than this. You are, sir. <laughs> yeah, there's endless plot holes. You can go on IMDb and check them out. Oh, Lord. It's, it's pretty bad. They tore it apart. I think the most egregious one for me was the fact that Max's arm was broken in the first 10 minutes. Yes. And yet he puts on the exosuit and everything's okay. Everything's fine. Like everything's that, cool. So, like, the exosuit was, suit was just able to, A, help his broken arm, and B, make the symptoms of radiation poisoning just okay and bearable. All like, right. Like, at this yeah, state... Yeah. <laughs> With how big a dose he got and how late in the game he is. Five days. His skin should be falling off. Yes. But instead they give him like a prescription form of Popeye spinach and he's just good to go. <laughs> These magic pills that apparently give you Hulk-like energy. It's like, what? What? Just pop the pill, man. You're going to be fine. Yeah, those have the opposite effect if those are painkillers because he takes the last five before he like goes and opens up a can of whoop-ass on people. Yes. And like... He takes him in the elevator and he's just like, I'm ready to go. Like, no, those are painkillers. Yeah. Those are opioids. Those, <laughs> those have the opposite effect, man. Exactly. He's like Logan. He just took a page out of Logan. Just get the serum, man. You'll go full berserk mode. Yeah. Someone said, I think on IMDb, that since his fingers weren't in the exosuit when he's like pulling the head off of the robot, it his fingers would have been crushed. 
because they weren't, you know, it yeah. were, his hands weren't part of the exosuit. So, I mean, there was just so many. It didn't make sense. And how is he pulling a head off with a broken arm? I don't know. What? It doesn't make sense. <laughs> spectacle, Chris. It's all spectacle. So we finished the main course of what is the film Elysium. Why don't we talk about what happened after? Let's talk about the legacy of the movie, shall we? Sure. Start us off with another, with another lawsuit. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, the one of the interesting things I found out was that the Elysium was subject to a lawsuit. Yeah. So there was a man by the name of Stephen Wilson Briggs. I couldn't find out like what he did. I think he may have been a screenwriter. He filed a copyright infringement lawsuit claiming he wrote a screenplay that was substantially similar to this movie. Now, prior to filing the lawsuit, he registered his screenplay with the U.S. Copyright Office so he could file an infringement complaint. Okay. So he did that in 2013. And then the next year, 2014, the U.S. District Court of Northern California found in favor of the film's producers and said, Stephen Wilson Briggs, you can go away. <laughs> Be gone, peasant. Which is, which is a nice turnout as opposed to Sound of Thunder where the lawsuits did not go in Where their it turns favor. out that that was an FBI investigation yeah. <laughs> and not a lawsuit. Yes, the sound of For fraudulence. fraudulently inflated budgets. <laughs> so this is, I guess, a good Which is still lawsuit. fun to talk about. <laughs> so, so let's say, would you rather be sued for copyright infringement or investigated by the FBI for fraudulently inflated budgets? I'm going to take the copyright. <laughs> Are you a criminal glass half full guy or a criminal glass half empty guy? <laughs> But Elysium was a modest uh, success at the box yes. office. It grossed about $286 million against that yeah. $115 million budget. So it, it made up its budget and a bit more money, which is good. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of the film's success could be attributed to the hype from District 9 and Neil mm -hmm. Blomkamp's name. Yes. People thought it would be another great rendition of his, but thus began his downfall. Which I don't even know if we can call it a downfall because he's only made three. He'll he can come back. I oh, mean, totally. he is he is slated to direct the uh, RoboCop yeah. sequel slash reboot. So I think he will come back. I mean, he has a he has a good head on his shoulders. He knows what kind of stories he wants to tell. Mm -hmm. So uh, th this is by no means the last we've heard from Neil Blomkamp. Oh yeah, and I think in an interview he even said he knew that the script was lousy. He said he had everything else perfect but the script. And I guess he attributed that to basically having a big budget film when you have the studio involved. It's really hard to make decisions that you want to make when they have 125 million bucks on the line. So I don't, I wonder why they put him in RoboCop then. Maybe that was a story he wanted to do because a long time he was attached to direct an adaptation of the Halo yeah. video game. And also for a while, he, uh, it was him that was going to do the Alien prequel movies mm -hmm. and not Ridley Scott. Apparently they wanted him to do Star Wars too direct some of the new ones which that would have been awesome after the, but they came up to him after this film and he said hell no <laughs> after the studios in my hands over everything he wanted no part of it so i don't blame him for that but probably i don't know maybe he's just matured or changed his vision after six years yeah i think he's ready yeah he's ready to come back and tell a story that he wants to do on his own time and not yeah. be forced with any type of deadlines or budget constraints mm -hmm. he wants to do what he wants to do and i respect that yeah let's hope it's a good one better than the last robocop <laughs> good god Ugh. so i think we've unpacked enough of yes. elysium for today 
What do you say we rate the film? Shall we, Sean? Sweet. Using our scale on the Force Fed Sci-Fi podcast of wouldn't watch, would watch, would own, and would host viewing parties, what do you give 2013's Elysium? Um, if you like Bloom Camp, check it out, but I am never watching this again. Mm. So I would not personally watch it. But if you do enjoy like visual effects, action, and all that, watch it. It's not bad. Uh, social commentary is dope. If you're into that stuff and like social or something, yeah, check it out. It'll take you for a ride. But I, I think I've had enough of Elysium for a lifetime. <laughs> I mean, unless like I wanted to do a study or use it in like a class for scenes. But I, I'm never watching this again. <laughs> We're going to differ slightly on that. Okay. I would call this a wood watch for okay. me. Okay. Well, while I think Neil Blomkamp can make a great film, this isn't it. No. The action seems second rate, mm -hmm. and the plot holes slash plot in general just feels like it belongs more in a video game and not in a Hollywood film. Yeah. Um, the plot holes themselves are too en enormous to ignore, and there are many parts of it that are overacted. However, the visual effects are great, mm -hmm. and... The acting is saved by several smaller roles that are more nuanced and appropriate for the movie. Mm -hmm. For me, this is a solid wood watch. Okay. Spot on, bro. They, I'm surprised they didn't make a video game of this, to be quite frank, because I feel like it would do well. Maybe we could get a video game sequel or Neil yeah. Blomkamp gets involved with uh, the development of a video game, period. Yeah. I feel like he would be great in that arena. Oh, heck yeah. So... With all that done, why don't we pick our movie for next time, Sean? Oh, it's time. Time for who? <laughs> it's time for who? Oh, yeah. Major Samantha. Yes. Hey, baby. So we're going to enlist the help of our friendly random number generator AI, Major Samantha, from a list of 118 movies. And she has selected number 14, which is a film from 1995, directed by Catherine Bigelow and starring Ralph... Uh, finds it is strange days cool i've never seen it. all right is it strange <laughs> i don't know well spot on question there yeah <laughs> so that will be our film for next time please watch and enjoy with us if you enjoyed today's show please head on over to itunes and leave us a five-star review it helps to drive us up the charts as well as help people like you find the show we are all across social media with facebook twitter and instagram all at force-fed sci-fi you can check out and download episodes in apple podcasts spotify the iheart radio app stitcher or wherever you find podcasts and go ahead and subscribe so you never miss an episode finally you can check out our website forcefedsci-fi.com for show notes and links to all of our social media so for all of us at the force-fed sci-fi team we'll see you next time Force-fed sci-fi is written and hosted by Sean Culp and Chris Rupp. Website design, associate producer, and editing by Jeremy Kesky. Artwork designed by Mike Berger. Theme music composed and performed by Custom Anthem.